We are encountering silence. Encountering silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be a part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Gabrielle Earnshaw is a historian and founding archivist of the Henry Nowen Archives in Toronto, Canada. She has been the advisor to the Henry Nowen Legacy Trust for 18 years and is consulted throughout the world on Nowen and his literary legacy. She is the editor of Love Henry and You Are the Beloved, drawn from the works of Henry Nowen. Her most recent book is as editor of Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety by Henry Nowen. Please welcome to the podcast, Gabrielle Earnshaw. Welcome to Encountering Silence. Hello. We like to start these conversations off with a basic feel for our guests as to their relationship with silence. And as we often remind our listeners, the silence is broadly uh, understood here that, you know, the, the idea of silence in various forms, it doesn't mean necessarily do you have a silent prayer practice, even though that might come in, um, maybe the, what your relationship with it in any shape or form. And we're, so we're curious, could you give us a little background on your relationship with silence? Sure. I think that it's been part of my life, um, forever, but, I was not raised in a religious household and I I had no language for God or for anything other than what you could see in front of you. But I think I always was yearning for it. So I had this um, unnamed yearning and would find, you know, as as children do, would find those places. And it was usually in nature. And so it, it, and I could, I could feel myself. That's where I needed to recalibrate. It was where I needed to, to settle And then as I became an adult and had more choices about where I was going to put my energy and and where I was going to, um, how I was going to, I I guess, um, activities that I was going to do, how I was going to fill fill my life, I had that same sort of pull towards quietness, towards, it is where, where I feel most I think it's where I feel most alive, actually, because I think what I found now as an adult, um, as a maturing adult, is that um, I think what I was finding was that I was in, I was in that by not having other sounds or literal sounds or distractions, I was able to enter into a, a dialogue with the transcendent, which if that doesn't sound too um, <laughs> pretentious, because I, I I don't think I ever really, you know, set out to find that. But I think that the reason why I was I kept on being drawn to it is because I think that that's where I I could just sense that interiorly I needed it. You know, I did things like writing and journal writing and of course walking. But I I find that. What silence for me means is 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 actual physical silence and stillness and solitude. 
that's what silence means for me. I, I think that it, 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 I can have silence, of course, in my quiet house when no one's here, or, but, for, but that's not what I consider my uh, time of silence. My time of silence is a conscious decision to be still, to not be moving around, to for solitude and for the lack of external noises. <laughs> Uh, then as as this became more, I became aware that this was actually something that I didn't want to just do on my own. Um, I, I joined the World Community of Christian Meditation. And I, I've been practicing as a world, uh, doing the world, uh, that Christian meditation as taught by John Main and now by Lawrence Freeman. Right. And I've, I attended a very, very important retreat with Lawrence Freeman and Jean Vanier. Uh, uh, and Jean wow. Vanier is the founder of L'Arche. Um, and L'Arche is a community for people with uh, to, for people with intellectual disabilities and people without them to live together. And I, um, because of my work with Henry Nouwen, I was very familiar with L'Arche and Jean Vanier, but I had been on uh, in, in my own practice um, you know, working with the World Community of Christian Meditation. And so I actually went to Jean Vanier's original home in France. It's called uh, In Trois it's called La Femme, where the World Community of Christian Meditation with Lawrence Freeman as their as their leader and Jean Vanier gave a, a joint retreat. And what was beautiful about it is that the World Community of Christian Meditation realized what they what they needed more of was community was a and and Jean Vanier had you know his whole mission was to create community um and he you know he he's created um he has died now but he in his lifetime uh, and now they continue there's over 130 communities around the world um so the world community of christian meditation felt like they needed to learn something from Jean Vanier and Jean Vanier and Larche felt like they needed to learn from the contemplative tradition of the world community Christian meditation. And I was there for that. And, um, very, very important time. It was seven days. It was in silence and with, um, two talks a day from one from Jean and one from Lawrence Freeman. So, you know, I, I, I think I hold those two together. Um, and then of course my work with Henry Nouwen, but we'll get to that. But I, the, these two, um, influences about how to be silent, but not silent for um, the silence. The silence is, is in connection to the greater world. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not a, it's not a, um, a self indulgent, mm -hmm. um, although it is very, uh, it helps me a lot. And actually I can't really function without it, but it's not, that's not predominantly what it's, Four. Uh, as I've come now to, as this is, you know, the years have been accruing as I've been doing it, 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 it is so that I can go out into the world as a more peaceful person, as a more engaged person. I think Henry Nouwen speaks a lot about the fact that once you enter into silence, once you, once you start listening to the voice of God, your desire to be in the world or at least be of service to the world increases. It's not like it, it's not like it decreases. I think, I think, you know, people who enter the monasteries and, 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 um, hermits, um, you know, the, the great mystics of our time, they're, 
that's what they also um, experienced. They experienced that in the silence, they feel connected to the world. They have this, they have this huge heart, like their heart expands. Right. And I, I think, I think that I'm far from, from, you know, from that sort of level, but I, I know that that is part of what the, the beauty of, of practicing silence is. Um, and of course it's incremental and of course it's not, it's not, um, uh, I'm not perfect at it and, and all, all of that, I get distracted just like everybody else. But, uh, but I do, I, 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 I put a huge value on it. Well, you're hitting all the greatest hits because we know a lot of those names and we've talked about a lot of these themes. So it's a wonderful introduction. Gabrielle, I'm curious to hear about your, your story with Henry now and how did you come to be the archivist? For the now and the now and estate. Well, it's got a little bit of a. Um, it's anticlimactic to start. Um, I, I <laughs> was looking for a job, <laughs> and there was there was a six month contract advertised by the University of Saint Michael's College, which is part of the University of Toronto, and it was a six month contract for an archivist to come in, arrange and describe the records of Henry Nowen, and I did not know who he was. However, the job ad said he spent the last 10 years of his life with Jean Vanier right. um, at L'Arche Daybreak, which is our local L'Arche community. Now, I did know about Jean Vanier, and I, I, had, I knew about L'Arche Daybreak. A good, good friend of mine um, is, is, would say to me, for years she said to me, Gabrielle, you really... I think you should really go to large daybreak. I think you should. And I and so because of that, because of Henry, uh, Jean Vanier's name, I put my hat in the ring and and I got the job. And uh, I I think, you know, I think one of the, the moments for me was I had to go and meet part of the um, job interview process was I had to go to L'Arche Daybreak and I had to meet Sue Mosteller, who was Henry Nouwen's very close friend, who he had left his literary legacy to. And she is a, um, a sister of St. Joseph. She's about Henry Nouwen's age. And now in the, in the nearly 19 years that I've been doing this type of work, she's a very good friend of mine, but she was a very, very good friend of Henry Nouwen's. And so at the time I didn't know who she was though. And I, and I drove, uh, it's a little bit far out of Toronto. Uh, the community is is in one of our suburbs. And I drove up there and I saw this woman in the parking lot and I knew it was her and in the parking lot of Large Daybreak. And that we just had an immediate connection. And she took me, she took me up to the attic. This is a very, very typical archivist story. She took me up to the attic and it was July and the records, Henry's archives, his, his incredible, um, collection of letters that he'd received, all of his manuscript, all of his important papers were in this attic stewing up there. Wow. And I, you know, I said, these God, these records have to get out of here immediately. <laughs> and so, so um, that's how it began. And I did, you know, what I did see when I walked up the stair, like I had to go up this sort of, um, I can't even remember if it was a ladder or stairs, but to get into the attic and it was, it was just filled to the rim 
with filing cabinets. There must have been about 30, 40 filing cabinets. And I um, opened them and saw the letters from Jean Vanier. Saw, I just saw, you know, I could just sort of see that, yes, this was an absolute, you know, sort of treasure trove of incredibly important material. And and that's how it started. So I, my job um, for the next 16 years, until I switched gears and doing the work that I'm doing now, was to get that material in a safe, in, in, into safety <laughs> and mm -hmm. and then make it accessible for other people so they would know what's there and they could use it scholars journalists just people on on their own spiritual journey uh it's an open archive and um and that and that's that's what it all started mm. wow 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 i love the just the the normalcy of that here in the, the attic is everything you know um yes. wow wow that's so fantastic i'm kind of curious how much longer after the introduction of okay this is just a job and then oh. and you said oh wow he's mm -hmm. connected with larsh so that's that's really interesting i i want to know more about this man i assume so then how much longer before you started to delve into kind of you moved past the job and then you started to actually look at now and read his work or find out what he taught or what, you know, what he wrote about or whatever. It, it didn't take very, very long at all. And I, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't know how to word it, but I, I feel like somehow it was my calling. Even uh, there's some, there was something that I was the right person for the job because not only could I do the, it's, you know, I could do the work of being an archivist because I was an experienced archivist by that point. Um, so I could do right by the records, but I had a, I think my heart was, my heart was ready for someone like, for, uh, in fact, I needed someone like Henry Nowen. Um, I, you know, I think, I'm not sure if I'd been practicing meditation at that, Christian meditation at that point, but I, it, it was like every time I read anything by him, I would just say, oh my gosh, I needed this. How have I been living without this? You know, it was, it was that, that feeling. And then I, I have to say, um, I, I was so privileged with Henry Nowen had a, had an extraordinarily large social circle. He was connected to so many different types of people, geographically, religiously, um, orient, like different, different ways of looking at the world. He, he had an eclectic and beautiful group of friends and colleagues. And, and then I got to get to meet them. You know, I, I started doing oral history interviews. So I, I was doing in-depth interviews with, with his circle and um, to these were these would be people who may, might be a social justice activists or they or maybe they were contemplatives or maybe they were they were spiritual teachers in their own right. Or and, and what an what an incredible privilege um, for me, because then my life started filling uh, with these people. And um, I spent I spent three months in Holland with my husband while I was on sabbatical living in the house of Henry Nowen's parents. They had died, wow. and, the, and Henry Nowen's younger brother uh, um, offered this house to me and my husband, and we spent a lot of time with 
with Laurent now and the younger brother predominantly, but also Laureen now and his sister. We met the the Dutch circle of, of friends. So it's really, I, I really can't probably encapsulate or articulate how how much of an impact um, taking that six month archivist job has had on my life. And I, and I, mm. I keep wondering, is it nearly over? Is it, you know, is it, has it run its course? Is it time for me to, to follow a different path? And certainly my mother asked me all the time, are you going to do something else? Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but somehow uh, I'm not, I don't feel that way yet. I still feel inspired by him. I still feel honored to do the work. So I think, I think I'll be at this for a while. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in this 30 seconds of silence. All that, those connections, I've always been surprised when new connections come up and Thomas Merton comes up a lot in this podcast. And I had heard that they met over a can of beer. Um, (laughs) And I don't, I don't know if you know anything about their correspondence or anything um, there, but I'd be curious about that. Uh, No, the, the, the story that I know is, is that Thomas Merton didn't remember Henry now and he remembered he remembered somebody who had a Dutch accent I think or something uh, there was no there was no um big you know sort of uh friendship that blossomed between the two Henry now did visit him once though and and but he wasn't remembered I think he's I think he is mentioned in one of Merton's journals as the Dutch priest with you know, who was hard to understand or something like that <laughs> um but yeah. certainly on Henry Nowen's end um, Thomas Merton was extremely important, and yeah. he wrote a very, very beautiful biography of him. I don't know if, if you know it. It's called. Uh, it was first published in Dutch, but then it was published "Pray to Live," and then now it's called Encur- "Encounters with Merton." And yeah. it's a very, it's a very small book, but um, it it does focus on on uh, Merton as a contemplative, but a, a contemplative in action. I think it's. I would say Thomas Merton was a huge, important influence on Henry Nouwen. Um, I think he then had other influences that he started. He spoke about more frequently, but certainly at the beginning, he taught courses on Thomas Merton. He would have readings, uh, you know, in all of his courses, there would be Thomas Merton readings. So absolutely a seminal figure in, in Henry Nouwen's intellectual formation and maybe heart formation too. Yeah. In terms of Henry Nouwen's uh, relationship with silence, as far as you can tell from everything that you've been through um, of his. I've always been heavily struck by what he writes in The Way of the Heart, where he says, first, silence makes us pilgrims. Secondly, silence guards the fire within. Thirdly, silence teaches us to speak. And I wonder if you kind of, like, as you've gone through things, have you noticed kind of this embedded contemplative life 
um, you know, in these physical things, in these physical writings or letters or photos, um, all the things that you've been able to go through? I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because um, I think Henry Nowen on silence is one of the least spoken about themes of his of his writing. He's not, I mean, some people will say he's a contemplative, but they'll, they might say he's like, um, because he had, he had his, his physical affect was very, he was quite, he was quite nervous as a person. He, he had an, a sort of like a, a sort of a nervous energy. He was quite wiry. You know, he didn't, hmm. he didn't actually look like a contemplative, like people have in their minds what a contemplative would look like. But uh, recently I did a, a survey. I read every book of his from beginning, uh, from chronologically. He has thirty-nine books, so that's a lot of books. And I and I read wow. all. I just want to pause and salute you. It's <laughs> amazing. Yes, it was for a book that I was doing called "You Are the Beloved," which is daily meditations. And mm-hmm. I ended up what you know my job was is to find um, the the gold in each of the books and just and sort of make a decision about which ones would would make it into my three hundred and sixty-five day meditation book. Um, and I ended up with a document that was 600 pages long. I mean, I just could, it was hard to, to pick them down and to, 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 you know, to get down to 365. But what I want to say is that I, I was, even though I am very familiar with Henry now, and I was very surprised that silence was the, he spoke about silence in every book, not, mm-hmm. you know, not, um, it, it's not like he had one book on silence. It's in every book. And that, I think, would surprise a lot of people about him now. And I've been wanting to say that. Like, I've been wanting to just sort of find a way. Uh, I might even do a compilation of his writings on silence because um, it was really important to him. It was very, I mean, he, you know, he did the Desert Mothers and Fathers. He was, he was very drawn to the Desert Mothers and Fathers. And it was, I have to say, one of the most important um, themes in his writing. And I love the way that you've that you've uh, got those three ways of expressing silence that Henry now how Henry now expresses it. And that that pretty much is the common theme of how he speaks about silence in in mm. in the and even in the book we're speaking about today, following Jesus, you might have noticed that he talks about silence there as well. Mm-hmm. And and he talks about making, creating space for God. That's another, you know, creating space for God is another way to speak about silence. And Henry Nouwen says that almost in every chapter, you know, there's sort of like, I know it's like the book is saying following Jesus is not an easy journey. It will not be an easy journey. But if you take time to be with God, in silence, in stillness, in solitude, you can do it. <laughs> you know, it's it's mm. that's that's where you will get your juice. It's where you will get your courage. It will where it's where you're going to get your hope. It's where you're going to get all what you need for the journey. And mm. because following Jesus isn't it isn't um, an easy path. And although Henry in this book. I find is so invitational. There's such a invitational quality about being a follower of Jesus. None of us are, are coerced into doing it. None of us are, uh, no one wants to force us to be a follower of Jesus. Certainly Jesus didn't, and neither does Henry. It comes, it's out of a choice. It's out of a choice 
to live our lives with our eyes eyes on love instead of our eyes on fear and despair and anxiety, all of those things that our society, our modern society is so consumed with. But we can only do that if we have some practice. Now, silence, silence isn't the only practice he talks about in this book. You know, he does, he also talks about service as a form of practice, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that this, the silence prepares us for service. Um, and and again, service doesn't need that we all need to, you know, put our lives at risk and, and head to, to, you know, dangerous parts of the world. A service might mean not yelling at our children, um, you know, it being conscious about how we parent. I think, you know, that's something that comes out in the book very much is that we all have our own way of following you know, following this voice of love. How how do we follow this voice of love? And some people will be really drawn to get that out there on the streets and you know, sort of be be a, a voice for immigrants or voice for the climate, uh, for for nature. But other people, it might be a much more hidden. He he spoke a lot of it's in the book as well. This following Jesus book. It's about hiddenness, um, and he struggled with that because he had a very he was good at speaking to large groups of people and he he was many people wanted him out there on you know speaking and and being visible but he tried to speak also about hiddenness and and you know choosing times in his life to be hidden and i think he's thinking about jesus's the way that jesus also took time to when jesus took time to be alone with god and he took himself away took himself into the desert he he took himself away from from his ministry and then he walked out again into his ministry and then was fully present while he was doing his ministry and i think that henry was also very drawn to that sort of practice or dynamic in life is that there's sometimes when we need to be and we're called to be engaged and then there are other times when we're called and need to be hidden and quiet and and not visible. I want to go on record and say before it slips my mind, I would love to see that anthology of Henry <laughs> Nowen on silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you'd have three. Um, you'd have three sales at least. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll and we'll push it as hard as we can. So, oh yeah. Um, what what a what a wonderful um, what a wonderful vision I have just of how that book could could take shape. So, um, so yeah, so thank you for affirming that, because that certainly has been my sense. Obviously, I don't know his work nearly as well as you do, but based on what I do know, that's been my sense is that he is a true friend of silence. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you could tell us anything, just your knowledge from his diaries or correspondence or whatever, how, how silence was a part of his day-to-day life. Do you have any sense of that? Okay, I think that Henry Nowen loved silence, but he had trouble keeping it. I I, I think that's absolutely yes. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What he never wavered from is the Eucharist. So every day, he whether he was with people or not, he celebrated the Eucharist. Now, um, for the for him, that was because he he had a he needed to. This was how he brought himself. He centered himself in Jesus. How he brought how he went into the heart of Jesus. I think he would speak a lot about, he does speak a lot, he did speak a lot about 
how we need to let Jesus enter our heart and we enter the heart of Jesus. And he would do this through the celebration of the Eucharist. But in addition to that, which many of us who aren't in the priesthood or won't be doing, he had a very, very lively prayer life. And um, again, that's not necessarily silence, though he would be, he, uh, you know, I guess when I think of silence, I think of silence as when I'm not talking, even not talking to God. So um, I think in, 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 in that sense, Henry Nowen's prayer life was, he was in dialogue with God. And I think, you know, he, he talked about unceasing prayer. And that is that our whole lives are lived in a conversation with God, um, and that all of our actions, all of our, all of our choices, are are made in light of that unceasing prayer. So he had that very much. Um, that was absolutely at the core of his being, and I think it was there from a very early age. He came. He came from a Catholic family. Um, his mother was was a a, um, a strong practicing Catholic. His father was a little less so, but. I think he was instilled with that kind of um, ethos. And I think for him, his relationship with Jesus, especially as a child and as a young person, was very personal. And I, I, I think it changed. It absolutely changed as he became an adult and, you know, the struggles of life um, hit him. But he, but he um, maintained that. So then the question is, did he have a, a practice of silence? Did he sit in silence? And I think that he he aimed for it every day. I don't know if he got there every day, but I think that he aimed for it every day. And for him, nothing better was to have a friend come and visit. They they talk and they share everything and then they have a time in silence. That 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 was that was often a dynamic that happened in his friendships. When they went traveling, he would often build in this time. Okay, um, I saw some itineraries for just traveling with his friends and it would include a time of stillness, silence, prayer. So I think it was, I think it's how he was able to be the man he was, how to be, how he was able to be the pastor, the minister, the the very compassionate and generous man that he was. I'm wondering to follow up along these lines here, and maybe as a segue into the book a little bit, because the subtitle of the book is Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. I've had this sense that reading now and because I've I've read I don't I haven't read all of them like you have but I've read a bunch of them and I always got the sense that his recovery of the Desert Masters really fit into because his interest is in psychology and the psychological makeup and in the Desert Masters really was kind of the early Christian psychological makeup of overcoming thoughts struggling with our lusts and our desires. And learning how to like be in that space, like you said, make space for God, that the thoughts and everything got in the way. And so it always felt to me like now when you said he was nervous, so he had his own anxiety and he was focusing and struggling. And I'm wondering is, is the silence, this recovery of the desert masters was this, was he interested in like the psychological piece to get at the heart of God? Is, is, is that? That's how I always think of now. And is that an accurate assessment or would you tweak that? Hmm. Um, well, I have to say I've never thought of it that way. Okay. Um, but I'm no expert in that. So I think yeah. that's a, that's a, uh, it's, it's something, it's a, it's a way of thinking about why was he drawn to, right. to them. I think that, 
uh, well, my sense is that there weren't all that many exemplars hmm. of the contemplative Christian. Hmm. And I don't know if you know Ron Rollheiser. Yes. Um, so he 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 has he has said that Henry Nouwen is responsible for bringing the word spirituality and the practice of spirituality to the West, like mm. to to North America. Before Henry Nouwen, there were no courses on spirituality. There was there, the people weren't using that word. It was considered something very very Catholic in a kind of like a corner of the of the Catholic <laughs> uh, tradition was. And, and so when he came and he was speaking so openly about it and he was, and he was, you know, teaching courses, introduction to the spiritual life was his major course at both Yale and, and Harvard. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that he was, he needed and was looking for Christian um, examples and, and role models for the contemplative life and for silence, as we've been talking about, I think he, and, and I, and I don't think there's that that many, you know, that I know that certainly Lawrence Freeman and John Maine, um, you know, when John Maine was was working or, or or I guess when he was active, he's died now as well. You know, he what he needed, what he was he something inside of him as a as a Catholic priest said, I I I want to I want something like what the Buddhists have. I want to have I want to have that practice of you know, centering. So then we we got um, Thomas Keating with the um, Centering Prayer and John Main with the World Community of Christian Meditation. Those two were operating pretty much at the same time, which I think is really an interesting pattern. And because there was, there seemed to have been this hunger and this thirst for a more contemplative way of being a Christian in the in the in the West, um, because I think uh, you know the 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 Russian you know, the desert mothers and fathers, that was in the Eastern tradition. Mm-hmm. And now where, so what, what, what did the West, the West needed something. And so I think Thomas uh, Keating and John Maine spoke to that, spoke into that. Um, but then I think Henry Nouwen did as well. I, 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 and he, so he would, you know, he looked at Thomas Merton, he looked at the desert mothers and fathers. He, he was, he was looking broadly. And so they were, they were, some of the people that he looked to. This is the end of a multiple-part interview. Part two of this interview will continue in the next episode. We are Encountering Silence. I'm Kevin Johnson. To learn more about me, please visit kevinmichaeljohnson.com. I'm Carl McComan. Find out about my work at carlmccoman.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. My website is cassidyhall.com. Please visit the podcast's website at encounteringsilence.com. There you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on this podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit Patreon.com slash Encountering Silence to learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters. Our circle of supporters help tremendously in sharing our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all-too-noisy world. Thank you.